Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. What would you do as a leader if you were traveling on business and found out there was a major explosion at your workplace and two people were killed? This happened to my guest, Jason Wenschlag. As a high school principal, he had to deal with his unimaginable situation. As he watched his school burn on CNN, he had two thoughts. What do I do now? And how are we going to move forward? His story is incredible, and how he led through this crisis is inspiring. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jason Wenschlag. Jason is an upper school principal at Minnehaha Academy in Minneapolis. He has been an educator for over 20 years, serving in both public and private schools as a teacher, coach, and principal. Jason has a powerful story about leading through a crisis that I wanted to bring to all of you today. So, Jason, welcome. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate you having me here. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into education and what you do today. Yeah, so I'm from South Minneapolis, and and I went to uh, North Dakota State University to uh, study business, and I played basketball as well. And I'm I'm six eleven, so I'm a tall principal, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, so I played basketball at North Dakota State and graduated and and went to Denmark to play some basketball and uh, came back and worked for a small training and development company and kind of learning the ropes and realized that. Um, you know, I, I, there was something in me that was wanting more and I was taking a class on training, adult training, and I realized that I needed to do something else. And I, I thought about what my passions were and realized how much I enjoyed coaching kids in Denmark and working with young people at North Dakota state and decided to go into education and realized I could teach business. And, and I taught for a number of years before realizing that if I was going to stay in education, I really wanted to use my broad range of skills and, and have a broader impact on people in the community and, uh, and realize that, you know, maybe being a principal or being a school leader was the route. And I did that uh, about 18 years ago and I've loved it ever since. Okay. And you're, you're right now, you're at a private school as the upper school principal. Is that correct? I am. Yeah. I spent 18 years in, in public education and in my last school district, um, I'll just say that I, I felt, I felt that I was being asked to lead in ways that, kind of violated who I am as a person and, and mm. kind of my ethics and how you work with people and treat people. And, and I started to look elsewhere and, and, and I'm, I'm kind of an opportunist, John. So I've had, I've had uh, eight different jobs in 24 years in education and a lot of those internal promotions, but still I'm an opportunist. I like to learn and grow and try new things. And uh, when this happened, I realized that, you know, I needed to perhaps look at a different opportunity where I could really fully express who I am as a leader and, and find really good alignment personally and professionally with, with my life. And, and I found this opportunity at a private school that was in my neighborhood and I'd heard about it as a kid. And um, I never really thought of going to private education, but I, I investigated it and realized that there's a really good fit there for me. And so I went to Minneapolis Academy five years ago and uh, it's been uh, probably the best career move I've made. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. 
So let's go back, because um, mm-hmm. I think it's important that we get right into what happened. So you tell us what happened on the morning of August 2nd, 2017. Yeah, so that was, uh, you know, certainly I'll never forget it, um, obviously, once you hear this. But I was on an airplane going to Chicago and on my way to Fort Wayne. And I was going to do my, my first consulting gig ever outside of my my normal job. And I'd landed in Chicago and and my assistant called and, and said, Jason, uh, something happened at, at school. There's been some kind of a, I don't know, a gas leak or some kind of a small explosion. I don't think it's real serious. I see glass. I see some smoke. But And people are coming out of the building. But but I'm really, uh, you know, I don't think it's too serious. But I just don't know what happened. So, okay, that got me. That, you know, I realized I need to do something here. So I started calling other people and couldn't reach a couple of others. And and then uh, I talked to my assistant principal and he was at the other campus and he said, yeah, I heard something happen. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, and then finally, I would say, John, maybe five minutes later, as I'm going to the other gate still in my mind thinking, okay, what do I do? Do I, do I go on to this consulting gig I prepared for it? Do I go back to Minneapolis? I don't know what's going on. Finally, someone real called me and, and, and our director of finance and basically said, Jason, it's really bad. It's pretty serious. And, and, and I found out, John, that there's a major explosion and they didn't know at the time uh, what had happened, but um, I immediately got on a plane back to Minneapolis and, and I was on campus. If I got that phone call at 1030, I was back on campus by 230. Mm-hmm. And, and we, had, we suffered a major natural gas explosion um, as a result of the local gas company hired a subcontractor to come out and move the, the gas meter from the inside to the outside of the building. And, you know, thankfully we didn't have kids in the building. Well, we did in the gym and, uh, but it was before the school year had started. And when I got there, um, you know, there was an incredible, incredible damage uh, between right between the two old buildings. You know, these were built in 1913 and 1921. Mm. Um, I might be a little inaccurate on those years, but anyways, major explosion. Obviously you have authorities all over the place, helicopters, fire, um, two people were missing. Uh, they ended up uh, dying in that accident. Um, so we lost two staff members, a janitor and a, a secretary. And and when you're on the scene like that, um, you know, there's a lot of trauma. And, and really, there's not much you can do as a leader at that point in that in that moment. And that was probably the thing I struggled with most in Chicago is I'm not there. And there's nothing I can do. And you're seeing it on CNN. Um, you're sitting in the airplane and your, your battery is now dead because you've been texting and receiving calls for the last two hours. Mm. And the, the gal next to me had it on her phone. So I'm sitting there watching someone else's phone, watching my school burn and, and, and seeing what's going on in that scene. And, and so when I got there, it was just kind of surreal and, and really a lot of disbelief. And, um, and, and I think as a leader, uh, you immediately go into, into two modes. One is what's happening and what can I do right now and, and who's missing and where are they? And the other one is, okay, how are we going to move forward from this? And mm-hmm. you already at that moment start thinking as a leader and thinking, how are we going to move from this? And so, you know, we don't have a school. When are we going to start the school year? And, and you're, you're juggling two different worlds at the same time at that point. So um, it was a very major explosion and I'm thankful that more people weren't hurt. And, uh, but that's, that's what happened on that morning. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What were your, what were your emotions like when, you know, first hearing the news and then when you finally end up on site and you see the extent of the damage, you find out that staff members are missing and then end up, you know, it turns out they yeah. perished. Um, what were your emotions? What did you go through in terms of your emotions as a leader? You know, I think I think the one the one thing I struggled with, and 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 I can feel it standing right there, watching, you know, seeing kids, seeing other senior leaders, seeing the police and the mayor and all these people all over the place. I remember thinking to myself, how should I be feeling right now? Mm. 
and, and, and I, and I remember, I remember thinking, okay, I think John and Ruth have probably perished in this. Um, I'm not crying right now. I'm, I'm not feeling that I, I'm feeling sad, but it's not a deep sadness because I'm also thinking about strategically, what do I need to do? What can I do? Where do we need to go from here? And, and that kind of described how I felt uh, for the next several weeks because, you know, we opened school 35 days later on a different mm-hmm. site with completely new furniture, books. We were in a business park and it was really a, an incredible process. But I felt that that conflict of emotion that, that entire five weeks. And, and, um, and I think that's, you know, as I study my, my PhD, John, on, on really crisis leadership and leading change through crisis, uh, that emotion work, as it's referred to, and, and managing your emotions in different situations that call for different reactions and emotions from leaders, that was a constant balancing act throughout that time. And it started that the minute I got on campus. Yeah, because I think you're, you're, you're torn between, between two worlds. One is, um, you know, you're, you feel you know, deep empathy for the people, right, that, uh, that yep. are affected by this. And then, but you're also, you also know you're responsible for the mission and the organization and, and what's next. Right. And, 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 and everyone is suddenly turns to look to you, especially being as tall as you are, by the way, (laughs) uh, looking to you for answers, right? Uh, What are we going to do next? Yeah. Yeah. When it, when it comes to, you know, providing hope for people, I think, and, and, and building resilience, I think leadership action, well, the research shows leadership action is one of the keys to that. Just a Mm -hmm. simple act of acting, um, is really critical for building resilience because people people can can lift themselves when other people are acting and moving and they don't have to be the ones and and I kind of felt that um, it certainly was not a burden it was a privilege um, I, I felt the privilege to be that person um, during much of that time because my mm-hmm. boss the president of our school she was she was two feet from where the the floor caved in her office from the explosion wow. and, and she was she was blown out of her office and and had to go over a window onto the roof to to escape from the damage so so she was she was maybe two seconds you know if her secretary had got to her two seconds earlier to say we need to leave and she walks two three more feet uh she wouldn't be here today and, mm-hmm. and so when you realize the condition she was in and other people were in um, you know, people need to step up. And, and I just kind of felt the privilege and opportunity to do that. And my role kind of facilitated it too. Um, so that's where I think I finally came to grips, John, with the idea that, okay, I don't need to be grieving all the time. It's okay to not be showing all of this remorse and sadness because as I experienced and as I studied, you know, positive leadership, res- you know, resilience, acting, all those things help the people that you're leading through a crisis such as that. Mm. That's good. That's really yeah. good. So, um, so you know, we set the stage a little bit. You said school hadn't started yet, so it was yeah. summertime, and you're what uh, a month or so away from when the school was normally supposed to start. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We were supposed to start. I believe it was uh, that year is August twenty third, and this okay. was August second. So it was exactly three weeks prior to our first day of school. Yep. So three weeks before you start the school year, now you have a building that's unusable, right? You can't bring it, bring it in. And as a, uh, and this being a private school, if people can't come to school, they're not going to, they're going to want their tuition back. And then you, because it's really in a way, it's a, it's a business, right? So it's not like the funding's coming from public sources, right? It's coming from 
private uh, tuition and what have you. So it must have been thinking through your mind, how, how can we even start a school year? Where do we, where do we have a school, school year? Will people leave, leave our school? Will, will the students even show up in, uh, in, in, in a month? And where would they show up? So um, yeah. when did it come? When did, when did the idea form that, that we're going to open school, we're just going to have to find a different way to do it? How did that, what was that thought process like? And how did you as a team, leadership team, and as working with the teachers, how did you kind of come to that conclusion and then start moving in that direction? I, you know, I would, you know, it's interesting. I, I think one of the things we struggle with as a leadership team initially, and, and I think any organization that suffers a, you know, a creeping crisis, you can prepare for that. You know, if yeah, you see sales, yeah. if you see sales start to go down, mm. you can look at the market and look at the threats and what's going on and why is this happening and, and try to identify how can we monitor and adjust to this? What moves do we need to make as a leader? When it's a sudden crisis, like an explosion, uh, that's completely different. It's a completely mm. different mindset. And I think we struggled the first two days. We, we created a war room on our South campus, which is a mile south of our other school. And we created kind of a war room with all the senior leaders. And the first two days, you're inundated with, with offers of help. Colleges offering classroom space. Mm. Uh, apparent architects who want to help with, with anything they can right. do. People who work with marketing, all these volunteers come forward and they want to serve and help you out. And and at that time, you just have to thank people. We'll get we'll get a hold of you. We'll get back to you. And 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 finally, um, I started putting poster board, poster paper um, up on the walls as if we need to start planning here. And mm-hmm. I even said, when we come back tomorrow, I think we need to close our laptops and turn off our phones and just think and talk and work and. Interesting. Um, because because the communication coming in was so overwhelming that it was preventing us from focusing. Plus, four of the six people in that room had all been in the explosion in some way. So they have all sorts of different emotions, whereas two of us weren't on campus. And uh, one being the other school's principal and, and then myself. And, and so I think, John, what happened is probably day two or three, we decided we needed to set a date for school. And in my mind, I just thought, well, most of our local schools are starting the day after Labor Day, uh, which was September 5th. So we just said, well, how about Tuesday, September 5th? We, wow. we, had no, we had no school at the time. We had no lease. We had, we had no plans. But we just set an internal goal. And, and then we communicated that to parents. We're going we're gonna to start school September 5th. And, so even and, early, that early on, you, you yes. communicated even without a plan. This is interesting. Correct. So, Correct. Um, and it's interesting too, because, so, you know, we were in a COVID crisis right now, right? And a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen in the future and leaders are trying to do their best to tell people, okay, we expect to be back and what have you. Uh, and we do our best to communicate what's happening during this COVID crisis, but here you are, no school, no (laughs) books, no furniture, no anything. And you boldly tell parents September 5th, we're all going to be back together. Yes. And, and you make a really good point. I haven't thought of that before with, with COVID we can't, we can't tell them we're going to be in school in person, all of our kids at once, or we're going to be online hundred percent come August or September. We can't do that because there's so many other variables that are out of our control. That's true. We had control. Yeah. We had control over this. And, okay. and when you, when you think of Sangi's work or Fritzy and, and that idea of, of focusing on what you're trying to create, 
I think setting that goal of September 5, instead of focusing on our current reality and, and solving problem after problem, we may never have reached that goal or it would have been a month out further. Mm. We set that goal. That set everything else in motion from, from who we had to hire as a partner to what we needed to get done by when. It gave us a timeline. Uh, I think that really helped. And, and, and back to your earlier comment about retention of families, I think it also helped minimize, um, again, I think the key lesson in all of this is communication, but I think I think getting that date out there provided some hope for people, especially incoming ninth graders and so on and so forth. And we didn't lose one family because of the explosion. 345 students, we didn't lose one family wow. because of it. Wow. So, so I think that's that's a that's a great uh, tangible result that we could look back on and say that was that was incredible um, for our community to stick with us and parents to have loyalty and trust in what we were doing. And then also for us in terms of how we executed and communicated and, and developed the plan rather quickly. Hmm. So it's interesting. It's almost like, um, you know, I think of um, being an ex-naval officer, right? I think about, uh, you know, the old days when when you were in a ship in a storm, right? And and, and there was a lighthouse and the lighthouse provided assurance, right? It, there was, yeah. ah, okay, there's where the shore is. We're, now mm-hmm. I know where we are. And almost like it provides that hope for a sailor that's out at sea and not sure where the shoals are or not sure where the, the land is. And then, so in a way, you as uh, setting a date out there that September 5th date was like turning the lighthouse on and say, here, let's all head in this direction, right? This is where we're going to go. And yes, we're all dealing with the emotions of what just happened, but here's something to give us hope. Here's something to give us focus. And here's something to, uh, to, 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 we can all work towards, right? So we had a vision and we shared that vision with everyone. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's exactly right. I, I kind of equate it to, um, well, um, kind of my philosophy of organizational leadership um, revolves around boats, <laughs> and, and 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 I won't get into it in, in detail. But but you know, I think when the crisis first happened, people are all over the place. They're going different directions. Their 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 minds are scattered. They don't know where we're going. And by setting a date, uh, you kind of get people on in, in, in the same boat, if you will. Mm. And, and you get those people, um, they might be in different containers and they might be doing uh, their own thing, but at least we're going in a direction. And I think your lighthouse analogy is exactly what that provided. It got people um, to go in the same direction and, um, and, and as PJ Fleck would say, rowing in the same direction. Mm. And, and I think that was really, really critical for us. And, and then kind of the next stage is, once you have that, once you see that lighthouse, you know where you're going, then you can start to put together a plan and give people roles and have strategies. And, and, and then, then you become, uh, you know, like in your vernacular, in your world, then you become that warship or a submarine where, where people have very clear roles and things like that. And I think that was, a, that was a defining moment for us when we set that date. That just set everything else in motion for us. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Deep Leadership is brought to you by Strikeforce Energy. Strikeforce Energy is a veteran-owned company founded by a Navy SEAL, and their products are all made in the USA. Strikeforce Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add into any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. Strikeforce Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, for a 20% discount on every order. Deep Leadership is also brought to you by my Amazon best-selling book, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. 
This book is filled with 23 short stories on how you can become a more effective leader. It's super easy to read and most people finish it in less than two hours. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and click the large orange button for signed copies. Enter the discount code IHaveTheWatch, one word, at checkout for 20% off your order and domestic shipping is always free. did it right so so talk about a little bit about how uh significant of an effort it was to basically find a, a place to be able to have school uh you didn't have anything right how did you acquire books furniture uh i don't know i mean everything to to basically s- start a mini school in 35 days well I, I, it comes down to people john it comes down to people having the right roles and it, it comes down to you know, like in Cotter's model, having a really strong coalition of the right people with the right mindset uh, who have the, the the right amount of power and expertise to be able to move their areas. And and so we had a couple of different teams going on. We had one team that was really focused on the construction, and that was the architect, our constructors and senior leaders and those people. And then I had another team where that was more the internal uh, upper school people who you know, might be in charge of this or department chairs and, and really telling them, you need to get your people ready and work from home. And here's the date when we need to do this. And I took someone who's in charge of a one program and I put her in charge of classroom materials and making sure we had an inventory of what teachers needed. I had a wonderful parent volunteer who's an expert in logistics. Uh, she volunteered and she was kind of my project manager and uh, she took over the furniture and, and she is the one that got an inventory of what teachers needed. I gave teachers a choice for what type of classroom furniture they wanted in their room and they responded within two hours when I needed it and mm. and the order went in and um, you know the furniture company they they when we got the furniture arrived on September 1st and 2nd kind of Labor Day weekend and it wow. was ordered it was it was ordered August 26th. And you can see on the bottom, of, and this is a lot of it's custom furniture. It's nice stuff, steel case. And, and when you look at the furniture, you can see the stamp, you know, made in Mexico or made it here or made there, August 27th, August 28th. So this company stepped up. Wow. They provided about 1,300 pieces of furniture uh, in about a week's time. And that's wow. just one small example of, of the different areas we had to address and the multiple partners that, that worked with us and really stepped up and produced and, and helped us reach our goals. Wow. So it just took an yeah. all-out effort. I mean, uh, yes. from a project planning perspective to all the partners, uh, employees, uh, parents, and I'm sure as well, um, yeah, to be able to bring it all together to get uh, get that thing running again in, in yeah. 35 days. And, and you hit your target, as I understand, right? So Yeah, we did. We, op- we opened 35 days later. And, 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 you know, there's a timeline, of course, where, where I mean, we had to, we had to negotiate a, a, a lease in three days when normally it could take weeks to, to do a commercial lease. And we went, we went moved into an office park and leased a building for two years. And, and, you know, obviously we didn't have a lot of leverage in that situation. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's the worst <laughs> we looked place at to be. It. Yeah. It's, you don't want to negotiate from that, from that vantage point, but, but they were fair and they did a good job with us. And, um, and we had to get an approval from the local city. We moved to it to, to have a K-12 school in the business park. And there's a lot of, logistical and legal hurdles that we had to overcome that normally would take probably anywhere from four to six months at a fast pace. Mm-hmm. So this is really a flash track project in a lot of different ways. And and to do that, you have to have the right people uh, supporting you from construction to architect to parent volunteers 
and you have to say no to the rest, but you have right, to have the right, right people and, and someone has to really orchestrate all that. So. Oh, that's great. Wow. Crazy. That, that, that's just a great, amazing story that you were able to, you and your team were able to pull that off. It's incredible. Yeah, so it was, a, it was and, an incredible experience. And, and, and most leaders, like you say, never even think about one day they might be in a situation like this, right? We can, we can watch sales, we can watch revenue, we can watch quality and we can see, as you called it, uh, what did you call it? Creeping uh, crises, but yeah. uh, ones that come on us right away, that's uh, much uh, more difficult to plan for or even anticipate. Yeah. anticipate. You never expect something. And I think the school you, I think you mentioned it's a, it's a very old school, right? A hundred years. Is that right? Or Yeah, it's, it's 103 years old. We're a, we're a Christian private school. And, and you know, I, th- I think for us, that's a significant factor too. I just think having that faith component uh, really bonded people. And, and when you study organizational resilience, uh, one of the key factors in, in resilience for leaders, and, and this is good for even preparing for crisis when it does happen, is to have really strong networks, hmm. internal and external stakeholders that are connected good relationships. You give them time to connect on a regular basis. And, and, and I think our, the bonds are so strong in our school community that, uh, that that was a major factor. And the faith component is a piece of that. And, and, the, and the relationships we have with each other and the way we treat each other, I think all of that fed into how we were able to respond and how people were able to stay strong and how loyal families were. And, and we have families from all over the Twin Cities metropolitan area. And, and, and they had many options. It's a competitive school market. And I just think there's something special about Minnehaha that that really fostered um, the resilience and the reaction that we had to this. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, where are you at now? So we're, you know, almost three years from that. Um, how's the school now? What's what's going on? Are you still a are you still remote or are you back in the building now? Or Yeah, we're back on campus. It's a, it's a beautiful building. And, and you know, I've been there five years. And in my first year, we had a broken water main in our old building and had to send kids home. The next year, we had the H1N1 virus and oh, we had right. an outbreak in our school. And we had to send kids home for three days and do wow. a close and clean. Year three, we had the explosion and had to and go through this this situation that we're talking about. And then while in you know, year four, you're building a campus while you're leading another campus and you're going back and forth in two different worlds. And, and kids experience this these two years in a business park. You know, they're 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 paying their tuition to be in a business park. That's not what they intended and what they wanted. And, uh, and and so we did the best job there. And then you you move into your new campus in year five, and everyone's excited. And then coronavirus comes, and we have to send them home. <laughs> yeah. And then now we have this happening in Minneapolis. So it, yeah. it's been an incredible run of of. And you know, I think God God gives you talents and, and builds you up in different ways. Uh, at least that's you know for me personally. And and you can look back now and see over these five years for our school how how we really had these small mini crises in year one and year two was a little bit bigger with the cleaning clothes and then the explosion. And you can just see how we were being prepared. Um, and then I also put in these small learning teams in that year one. And and you know, now you look back and you study resilience and see what we were doing to connect people even more than we were before. And it just kind of things kind of come together. And, and and I think that helped us really be prepared for this and, and recover the way we did. But it's mm-hmm. a wonderful building. Our kids love it. Our, fam- our families were very faithful in, in their giving and supporting the, the you know with their donations. And um, it's just a wonderful school that's very a uh, lot of glass transparent it's open it really helps build our community the way we like it and, and we're really happy and pleased with it and we want to get back there next fall <laughs> yeah really yeah. yeah yeah i think i think every school wants to get back in the fall i think uh, absolutely right, right now so yeah yeah what are some lessons uh 
that you learned through the whole process? Maybe things that uh, the people that are listening to this podcast, leaders, they might be leading businesses, they might be leading uh, nonprofits, uh, different organizations. What kind of um, what kind of lessons can you you know help shed light on that they you know things they can take away from this? Because again, you can't prepare for something like this, but you know you as you mentioned, there were things you had done to build that you know cohesion before the crisis happened. But are there some other things that they can you know one what should they do before something like that happens? And if anything does like this happen, you know, the second thing is, you know, what, what are some things, what are some key lessons? Well, I think, I think one, and we're, we're seeing it now in Minneapolis with the, with the current riots and things going on um, in, in crisis communication or in crisis communication is King. Mm-hmm. It really is, John. Um, I communicated with parents and students and faculty probably twice a week with pretty thorough emails. I, I made sure to highlight in yellow the key things they had to read. Um, I was very transparent. Um, I was very honest about where we were at. I gave details about where we were going and who was involved. And I think communication provides hope and clarity. I, I think I mentioned something similar earlier in this, but I, I really think that that provided hope for people that we have a direction. We see the lighthouse. We're going in that direction. And I think it provided clarity and thus minimize confusion. Mm. And what we're seeing in Minneapolis right now is lack of that. There really right, is. There's been right. very little communication. If it happens, it's at 1.30 in the morning when everyone's sleeping. And, and there's not all clarity about what the plan is. And so people are confused. They're getting angry. And, and if you have an organization, and whether it's a small or a large crisis happens, and you're not communicating and being transparent with people, that just leaves room for gossip. It leaves room for anger. It leaves room for um, undermining of strategy. There's a lot of things that can happen. When you're not doing that. So I'd say that's the first lesson. I think another key lesson that I realize is having the right team in place. And, and when I speak to, to different groups um, with leaders in the room, I ask them, do you have one or two people who could take over for you if something happens to you and, and you're able to lead that organization? And if you don't have those people, um, you need to find them. You need to either train them or you need to find them. And if you have the wrong people in the spots, then you have to move those people and get the right people in those spots because you never know when you're going to need them, whether something happens to you as a leader personally or to your organization. And I think in this case, um, you know, Dr. Harris, I, I, you know, with, with what our president went through, I was able to really take a lot of the, a lot of the load in terms of the new campus and the construction and helping lead that. And she was still involved, but I think having the right team with the right people uh, really is critical and knowing how to handle volunteers and other people and the external stakeholders who you might want to partner with mm-hmm. um, and having those relationships and the talent and all those things ahead of time is really helpful. Um, and then I think the last thing, you know, if I was to do a third thing, I think there's, there's many of them, but um, you know, the emotion work, uh, I, I'd like to think I'm empathetic, John, but I think empathy is probably, um, I think I'm so focused oftentimes on where we need to go and you're 30,000 feet high, you know, and a mile out in front of others and and you have to come down to the, the ground floor and, and be with your people and really understand where they're at. And, and that's not my talent necessarily, 100%. So I depended on our school nurse or a counselor or a pastor. I depended on other people to fill those roles. And, and so I think understanding where people are at and knowing that there's a broad range of emotions. Um, you know, we had students who were really grieving and having a difficult time. And we had some students that by day two, they were tired of hearing about the explosion. They wanted to move on. Um, but, but having empathy and understanding of your people and where they're at and putting the right people and systems in place to support them, 
uh, cannot be overlooked uh, when you're dealing with a crisis like that. So I'd say communication, having the right team in place and, and managing the, the talent and those people, and then having empathy and being sensitive to needs of other people uh, and not assuming people are in a certain place or they're fine or whatever that might be, you really have to seek to understand others. You know, and I'm thinking about the COVID crisis and a lot of leaders have had to lead through, lead their organizations through this. And those are those are three really important um, lessons for them as well. I mean, uh, cri- uh, communication, obviously, that's that's critical, making sure yeah. you have the right team. And then the uh, the, the emotion work. I think uh, we dealt with a lot of emotion. Well, as a school, you know this firsthand. I mean, my wife is a teacher. So, you know, mm-hmm. she's never taught remotely before. Well, how do you do that? Uh, she teaches kindergarten. How do you teach <laughs> little ones? Yeah, uh, yeah. With a Zoom call, right? I mean, uh, yeah. so just, and, and then everyone dealing with, um, the the emotion they all diff- deal with it differently. We're seeing that with COVID. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Um, yeah. do, do you meet you know with people or do you just stay at home? So everybody deals with change differently, and so getting to you know with each individual, making sure that you understand where they're at in their change process. Well, and, and you know, speaking of change. Um, when you, when you talk about change leadership, and, and, and obviously you probably have a lot of listeners who are in, the, we're all in leadership positions, whether we realize it or not. I mean, we know that. Um, but people that are in formal positions of leadership will understand this. And, and others who wonder if they're a leader or not, you know, there's a cartoon that many people have seen, maybe you have, where on the, the top part of the cartoon, there's a gentleman standing at the podium and, and he said, who wants change? You know, yeah. and everyone's, everyone's raising their hand. And then, and then the, second, the second slide said, who wants to change? And they're all still standing there, but their hands are down. Right. And the third one is who wants to lead change? Mm. Everyone's gone and he's standing up there by himself. <laughs> and, and, and I think the, and that's a very powerful cartoon. And, and that really sums up a lot of what I think we all see in our organizations. And when you're trying to lead change and when crisis is really forces the change, um, you know, I think people want to help and be there, but, but someone needs to step up and act. And, and it's usually more than one person. And, and, and you know, I, I just think that the leadership stuff, it requires humility and being willing to do the job and, and being able to listen to people. Uh, there's, there's a lot of other things that crisis leadership requires besides those big three I mentioned. But mm. um, it's complex. But, you know, as Patrick Lincioni also says, I mean, that's that's when leadership is a privilege. It's really a privilege to serve other people and, and to create the result, whether you're a for profit or nonprofit. You all have a result that, that we're working towards. And and uh, it's a privilege to be able to lead people and have that that type of responsibility. It's hard, but you learn from it. And um, I think any any leader listening that's been through a crisis, either similar to this or, or, or some other type, um, you use your wisdom and experience, but you're also learning as you're leading. And, and I think that's another critical factor. So you're more prepared for the next one. Wow, that's powerful. So what's next for you in the school? Well, I'm actually I'm actually changing gear. I'm staying with Minneapolis Academy, but I'm going to go to the middle school. I've never oh, been to the okay. middle school, and 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 we have we've had two principals for three levels, with one principal having two, and and I'm going to move to the middle school, and I'm also going to take on a a broader school wide position, a kind of an executive director of teaching and learning position to provide more support for all of our curriculum instruction areas, but school wide. It's just an it's an area that we could use some more support and leadership, and but my priority is the middle school and and helping. Uh, support those people and, and do some new things down there. So, so I'm excited about that challenge. It's another change, but I get to stay with the great organization and 
Um, beyond that, I hope to, uh, you know, I'm finishing my, my doctorate in organizational leadership and writing my dissertation on this whole experience. And, um, you know, hopefully I can do some consulting down the road or be a support for other people or mentor or whatever that looks like. Okay, great. Well, that's great. How can, um, if people had listened to this podcast, they're interested in maybe, you know, touching base with you or have questions, uh, how can they reach you? Well, I'm on Twitter. I don't, you know, at Jason Wenchlog, J-A-S-O-N and then W-E-N-S-C-H-L-A-G or just my cell phone. My cell number is 612-715-2460. And if people want to text or reach out, um, I love talking to other leaders and, you know, providing my perspective or support however I can. And uh, those will be two easy ways or look up Miniha Academy and you'll certainly <laughs> yeah. see a lot of news on Google and how to reach me there. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And, and um, yeah, so I will put, uh, I'll put a link over to your Twitter account uh, okay. in the show notes so people can find you uh, quickly and easily. So and they great. Can say, thank oh, you. They can yeah. see the face uh, behind the voice. So yeah, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, um, that's really good. And, and I think you've touched on a lot of things that are really important. And especially um, as I mean, all of us are leading through a crisis right now with the COVID. And, and um, so we've had to learn some new skill sets. And I think you bring a lot of, um, you know, your personal experiences, I think, are really helpful to us to hear as leaders. And I really like what you talked about in terms of um, just in terms of, of of having that communication and that um, making sure you have the right team and the empathy and the yeah. uh, dealing with the emotional side of it, I think that's really important. I think we can't ignore that, um, no. especially as as people are going through change. And you know, <clears throat> what you know, what is what is the future hold? We never know, right? But we've got to be really clear uh, about where we're headed. And I like the fact that you. You know, put, we put a date out there, you know, we're going to yeah. start September 5th and that was your light and everybody could steer towards it. And I think that's, that's something that leaders can take away as well. So that's an important lesson from this. So. Yeah. And I, I think, in, I think all leaders need to constantly focus on what they're trying to create. And I think what you're trying to create is always changing and evolving. You're, mm. you're responding to a number of different things and, and, and that might be a good chapter for my dissertation or a good chapter title for my future book is put the date out there. I like that. I like <laughs> good that. Job. That's, thank that's, you. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate all of your insight, your wisdom, and thanks uh, for sharing your leadership story because I think that everybody here can uh, take away something from it. I know I personally Great. have got a page of notes here, but uh, I know a lot of everyone who's listening, they got a chance to take you know, hear your story and then sort of yeah. think about it themselves and how it affects them. So I really do appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, John. I really enjoyed it. And uh, good luck to you. And of course, all the listeners too. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So well, that's it for today. Uh, thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying, take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Take care.